The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Welcome to Time Masters, a PapiChuloRadio.com original series. PapiChulo Radio celebrating a decade of podcasting excellence. Today is Monday, May 10th, 2021, and I'm your host, Jeffrey Aruz. During this podcast, we'll be having an in-depth discussion on the CW's DC's Legends of Tomorrow. Please welcome my co-hosts, Professor X. Hello, Burger Buddies. And Millie Wood. Hello. Let's jump into our discussion of Season 6, Episode 2, which was titled, Meet colon, The Legends, Meat spelled M-E-A-T, and aired uh, May 9th, 2021. Here is the official synopsis of the episode. With Spooner on board, Ava hopes that her special abilities will help them lead will help lead them to locate the aliens spread out on the timeline, which could ultimately lead them to Sarah. The legends soon find themselves tracking an alien in 1950s San Bernardino and having to figure out what is making the town go on a feeding frenzy. Zari lets Bayrod know she is ready to use the totem, but Bayrod isn't ready to share it, causing tensions between them. Meanwhile, after crash landing, Sarah tries to figure out a plan and runs into none other than Amelia Earhart, who could be her ticket home. Let's talk about this. We're actually going to start off with that storyline with um, Sarah and Amelia Earhart. So, as the press release states, uh, there is a crash landing. They're on a uh, mysterious, purpley planet. They see a dog, so they surmise that uh, they should be able to breathe on the planet. There's a lot of interplay between Sarah and Gary. And then there's Amelia Earhart, who uh, welcomes them in, feeds them, uh, is very much lacking on details as to where or how she got there, when she got there, and all that kind of stuff. And then they notice that something is off. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about uh, Sarah and Gary's interplay that adorable pooch with the, what was it, like the handkerchief scarf type of thing on. Um, Amelia Earhart in all of her glory. Millie Wood, let's talk about this. It was an interesting, interesting color, interesting uh, side story. I'm I'm curious, like, where we're going with this. Um, but I do appreciate uh Gary's playing deck of playing cards of uh, notable women, and I like I'm wondering if like if this is this the bit where we're just gonna go through his playing deck because I I kind of be down for that like that's who they they um who kind of attacks them alien wise on that. Um, but I think I think it was 
it was strange and I think that was a part of my thing was it felt very introductory which my sense was at the beginning of the season but I felt like there wasn't much traction going on besides uh kind of just concerning about Amelia Earhart um and her her strange her strangeness in the way that she acted at the end um but I do enjoy the the Gary and Sarah dynamic that there was I also appreciate them being smart enough to question if they can go out and breathe on the air after watching the Saturday Night Live sketch over the weekend with some dumb astronauts. I appreciate they are able to think and before they go out and possibly like explode their brains. Shout out to SNL. Professor, I want to get your take on the storyline as well. And, uh, and let's continue on with Amelia Earhart. So there was a strange moment with uh, Amelia Earhart where she grabs... Um, she grabs Sarah's arm when they were discussing going back to the ship, and she convinces them to stick around to uh, eat whatever it was she was cooking, because we have no idea what it is that she can kill to eat on that planet. And then she kind of um, she glitches, for lack of a better word. She keeps on repeating herself, and then we realize, uh, and they realize, Amelia Earhart maybe isn't necessarily Amelia Earhart. And then once they do try to go back to the ship, she goes full-on alien, and uh, she ends up uh, hurting um, Sarah. Uh, Clearly there was maybe something venomous involved in whatever uh, quote-unquote Amelia Earhart did. And then we see them, uh, as when they escape, that they're sort of surrounded by lights. Uh, we do also learn that this is the planet in which um, Sarah and the other uh, warriors were being taken to. So presumably, whomever is in charge is uh, searching for them. Uh, so, Professor, talk to me about Amelia Earhart, the surprise with her, as well as uh, the predicament that Sarah and Gary are in. And what did you think of their interplay? Um, you know, Sarah and, and Gary are always great together. They're, they're always fun. Um, I did like, uh, you know, Gary had a couple of great lines. One about, you know, he's had a problem with the dog before. Uh, and his, you know, his explanation as to why he didn't explain that he was an alien. Well, Charlie didn't tell you what she really was, and that seemed fine. Um, but the whole subplot, like the whole B story with uh, with the Amelia Earhart just left me, I, I just couldn't care. I mean, if, if it was Amelia, it obviously wasn't Amelia Earhart. How could Amelia Earhart have, you know, made that house and, you know, turned the, uh, you know, okay, her, her bowls are made of wood, but they're perfectly turned bowls of wood. You know, it's, it's not like she could have done that. And also if it was Amelia Earhart, you know, unless she was kidnapped a week ago, she hasn't changed it. Her clothes are still the same. Um, yeah, I just, I couldn't get into the whole thing. It was, it was ridiculous. And when Sarah said, Oh, we have a, uh, uh, an airship, maybe you can help us with that. As if Amelia Earhart could help you fix a goddamn spaceship. Um, yeah, the whole thing just seemed really pointless like in in terms of a b storyline i guess in terms of setting up what is actually going on on this planet i don't know uh it'll be interesting to find out like maybe the uh you know the uh the alien warlord on this planet is doing sort of a uh like ego the living planet in guardians of the galaxy 2 where he's bringing together you know uh powerful women from across time and space uh you know in order to find one to mate with or something like that i don't know uh but yeah i just 
I, I couldn't buy into it because, you know, it, it just seems so silly to me that, yeah, and, you know, even admittedly, this is legends and silliness is, you know, the name of the game. But on the B plot, you know, where we're dealing with, you know, Sarah fighting for her life and, and trying to get home and everything like that. I just couldn't get into it at all. Was it the weird filter? The weird filter. Actually, I didn't mind the weird filter. I kind of minded the uh, the strange, you know, purple lemons that were hanging on some of the trees. Um, I like <laughs> that. Uh, you know, Gary said that. You know, he had. You know. Uh, you know, uh, trees on his plant that could kill you. So I thought, oh, Gary's from Australia. Um, but oh. uh, no, it's uh, yeah. I mean, he had some fun lines, but aside from that, it just felt yeah. It felt pointless. Australia, the home of the Tim Tam. Tim Tam and trees that can kill you. Yes. Could you imagine dying to a tree while you're eating a Tim Tam? Um, I'd rather not die. Okay. Well, there is that. Um, okay. So I do co-sign with the qualms of this storyline. Uh, Gary and Sarah were fantastic. As, as the professor stated, they usually are together. We did get a lot of exposition just about Gary and his alienness as well as what will be sort of like the backstory of why Sarah was kidnapped. So that was interesting. Um, Amelia Earhart was also interesting. Even the alien twist, or whatever the hell she is, was interesting to me. I do remember reading an interview with the showrunners, uh, I guess uh, last week or the week before, right before the the episode premiere was maybe was it was it after the episode premiere now i can't remember but um i do remember reading an interview where the showrunners did say that the planet that they would be going to would be sort of bermuda triangle ish where we would see people that have disappeared in the past and that maybe you know mysterious disappearances they would show up there um, I don't know if that was just the Amelia Earhart storyline or if that's going to be something that we see again. Um, I, I would guess maybe not. Maybe it was just a surprise of Amelia Earhart there because she's not Amelia Earhart. At least, I, I mean, I don't think they're going to portray Amelia Earhart as an alien uh, when clearly that's who it was. So I do wonder if what was said in the interview will be something that we end up seeing as we continue on with the Sarah storyline, um, I do want an explanation as to uh, what Earhart was. Um, was she just sort of set up there as maybe a gatekeeper to whomever the proprietor of this planet is, um, and, and, and that's what that was? Hopefully we get some sort of expo- exposition-y explanation in the next episode um yeah but it clearly this was just a setup to the introduction of the person that i think is going to be the big bad of the season i would assume that sarah's captor will be the big bad and all of the aliens that were spread across the timeline are kind of like the mini bosses sort of we'll see stay tuned so let's talk about the legends back on the wave rider we pick up exactly where we left off with uh, the canisters of aliens being spread across the timeline we get um a grody moment with an alien smashing onto or crashing into the uh windshield of the wave rider 
And uh, we learned that we will be going to 1950s San Bernardino because that's when Gidget found uh, a, an anomaly that is alien-specific. So, before we get into the meaty madness of uh, the episode, let's talk about uh, Spooner. So, uh, Spooner was used a lot in this episode. She's the brand new character that has joined the Wave Rider. She initially has a, um, um, well, an intense uh, reaction to uh, Ava, and Ava has an intense reaction to her. But uh, that sort of softens throughout this wacky adventure um, with uh, the special secret sauce and, and, and that sort of thing. So by the end of the episode, Spooner and Ava seem to have bonded. Professor, your take on Spooner and Ava's relationship and how it progressed throughout the episode. Well, it's become a you know, it, it's it's sort of legends cliche that, you know, the new person, the new kid, you know, doesn't fit in and, you know, takes them a while to find their footing and, and become, you know, one of the, uh, you know, uh, lovable misfits from the uh, the island of of uh, of uh, of broken toys. Uh, that is the legends. Um, I, I really I actively disliked uh, Spooner for most of the episode, but, you know, she was entirely in the right. Uh, but I disliked her because, you know, she's not playing along with the legends. She's, you know, she's it's like she's come in from another show and doesn't realize, no, this is just a wacky show. You got to go along with it. Um, but because, you know, her character is being written is very real of, you know, you kidnap me saying you get something out of my head. Now you're saying you can't take me back where I came from. And Dave is saying no. Um, you know, it, it's entirely understandable that Spooner would would resent that and and be hostile as a result. So, I mean, it was entirely justifiable. Um, and I did like the fact that she came around at the end. Maybe, you know, the ending was uh, a bit too quick. Again, if we're going to play that, that she's supposedly coming at this from a, a point of view of, of a, a realistic character rather than a Legends character, then maybe her resolution was a little too quick. But again, because, you know, when Zari first joined the team and then when New Zari joined the team, uh, when Charlie joined the team, uh, there's always been that, you know, uh, that difficulty adjusting to life that usually stretches out over multiple episodes. And I think, you know, the Legends writers have realized that we all know by now that, you know, they're going to become part of the team eventually. Let's just deal with it fairly quickly. So I, I think it, it's good that they, they did have that. And she did, you know, uh, they, the closing scene with Ava was great, uh, you know, because, uh, you know, Ava got to, you know, you know, because she's been manipulated as well. We got a little bit of backstory, which I think, you know, is obviously going to pay off. Something happened to her mother. I think that's going to become, you know, a, a subplot for that character going forward. And I love that her resolution was, I just have to kill more aliens. Um, okay, you do that. <laughs> you know, and Ava's realization that, okay, we're just going to go with this, uh, was delightful for Ava. So, you know, it, it, it may have been a little rushed if we're looking at it from a realistic point of view, but from a point of view of getting her on board with the legends and, you know, the fact that her power seems to be innate to her and, you know, uh, it, it gives them something to play with in terms of figuring out what her power is, how it worked. That scene, for example, where she was able to suddenly read the alien um screen which she wasn't able to do before uh suggests there's there's more to her power than just you know being able to sense aliens or anything like that so i think that'll be an interesting reveal for her uh as, as we continue on in the season and i like the fact that by the end of the episode you know it seems like she is you know just one of the friendly misfits albeit one who's maybe a little more homicidal than the rest not homicidal but alienicidal yes tis true 
Millie, I want to get your take on Spooner as well. Did you warm up to Spooner as the episode progressed? Did you like her from the beginning? Were you a little bit like the professor that, that you know, you had to, uh, you know, wait until the end to sort of get a full feel on everything that Spooner's going to bring? I enjoyed Spooner this whole episode. I think she, in my opinion, played off of her strong introduction last episode and continued over. Um, and maybe it's, it's, I like the I like the fact that she brings that realness, and especially to Ava as kind of challenging her leadership. Like, you know, you just can't do that, Ava. Uh, maybe that's channeling my own personal life. Is like <laughs> I'm currently fighting with with my boss about what you can and can't do, and some strategic moves. And it's just like sometimes you have to think about it, and you get so tied up in in what you're doing. And Ava's used to this. I kind of like that realness that Spooner brings, where it's just like, um. You all sound a little kooky, and you can't just go up to somebody or something like that. Um, and I like how it's with with Ava because I think Ava's still learning how to you know, be a leader to someone new um, and bring them in. And then I do like the bonding moment where uh, they are able to share that and build that trust, which I think is huge. Especially because we don't, you know, Sarah's not there, so kind of I think uh, Spooner's a guest close friend on the way right. I'm wondering if that's going to stay Ava. I kind of like that um, and see where that goes from there. Okay, and I will co-sign with the Spooner love. Um, I, I think I agree a little bit more with Millie. I, I liked her in the beginning. I liked her sort of antagonistical role that she had against the Legends. Uh, she was sort of, um, you know, a little bit no-nonsense in the beginning, but it made sense with everything that she had gone through. I mean, Ava was incredibly intense, but clearly, I mean, it made sense for her character. You know, she has her fiancé out there that she wants to save, and Spooner was, uh, let's say, not necessarily the most sunshine and rainbowy of new characters uh, on the Wave Rider, but uh, I think everything balanced out by the end, and um, I, I did enjoy their dynamic together, and it was great to see Spooner kind of soften and, and warm up to the Legends by the end as well. And we also got confirmation in this episode that Spooner doesn't have anything implanted in her, so this... Uh, alien communication sensory ability might be meta human um, period so that's kind of interesting we also got a teeny teeny tiny teeny teeny tiny taste of Spooner's backstory and about the fact that her mother disappeared when I guess both of them were abducted together so, uh, I'm just going to ask this already. Are we going to get a happy ending? Will we get resolution to that? It was a teeny tiny little line or two about Spooner. Clearly a, a tragic backstory. But are we going to see Spooner's mother in the future? It, or, well, I should say, let me reword that. In a future episode. Not in the future. You know what I'm saying. In a future episode? Do we have a bold prediction from either of you? Oh, yeah, Definitely. Definitely. They wouldn't have mentioned it if there wasn't going to be some resolution. Okay. Now, is she going to be evil? <laughs> you know how Legends likes to throw in a little wrinkle. We had her mentioned in one line. I don't think we have enough to uh, extrapolate meaningfully. Okay. All right. I'll, I can buy that. Okay. So, uh, since it was mentioned in the press release, let's actually talk about uh, about Zari and uh, Bayrod. Because we got a surprise little cameo, something that I wasn't expecting, in this episode. So, throughout the episode, we basically had uh, Zari and Bayrod discussing the family heirloom, the totem. 
and Zari, she had written out this um, schedule for both of them so that they can share the totem. Uh, Zari feels that she has uh, a right to uh, use the totem because it is a family heirloom. And even though Bayrod was like, well, the totem chose me, and she's like, no. She counters that by saying, no, you took the totem. So the totem belongs to me as well. And uh, the conversation goes back and forth, back and forth, and at a certain point, Zari just sort of gives up, and um, in, in a very pissed off kind of way, basically like, you keep the totem, you know, I can do something else. And then by the end of the episode, as they're discussing it again, Zari, you know, just comes to the, the, the realization that she doesn't need the totem. She is a hero in her own mind, in her own way, without necessarily using the totem. As they continue to sort of go back and forth, because by that point, Bayrod is like, no, you should use the totem. We go inside of the totem. We see OG Zari reading a book, hearing them. And by that point, she's like, oh, fuck. You know, let's 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 just silence both of them, and she gives Zari her own totem. So let's talk about this, Millie. Your take on this? Were you surprised to see OG Zari, and uh, now both of uh, both of them, both siblings, brother and sister, now have totems? What'd you think of how we got to this point? I was so surprised to see OG's. Zari, I thought we had said farewell. So I do wonder um, if this is like hinting that there's going to be uh, maybe she'll come out of the the totem or or there's some, some kind of conflict. But I thought it was interesting that they would tease that. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious. I know we had kind of talked about it last episode where it's like, oh, she shut the door in terms of like just everything OG Zari. And so to have this little like peep in there um, is an interesting little nugget to think about. Um, and I like how we get to see the brother-sister uh, argument over something, um, you know, way more significant than your usual trivial sibling arguments. So I like that. And I think I like they didn't drag it out and there was a resolution at the end and it makes sense. And it'll be interesting to see both siblings have that. And does that like, make them super powerful are they going to team up like how does that work in terms of double totem um and their powers and what that will bring in terms of fighting aliens and things like that yeah it's interesting i don't think i i don't think any of us thought of the the concept of uh splitting the totem or uh, you know duplicating the totem so that they both could have a totem um it, it's interesting that they decided to go in that direction professor your take on Bayrod and Zari, as well as the little cameo of OG Zari. Well, first off, uh, love the uh, the return of OG Zari. Uh, you know, uh, I, I really didn't think we'd see her again, so uh, I was delighted by that. Uh, the the thing that that I wasn't crazy about with uh, the Bayrod and Zari storyline was that it felt like something from last season. Because you know, when Zari 2.0 first came aboard the Wave Rider, we had the sibling tension you know, the sibling rivalry. And it seemed like by the end of last season, they were past that. So for them to suddenly go back to having that rivalry um, felt a little retrograde uh, in this, uh, you know, in, in this season. Um, now that said, it, it, it it seems to me like it was just done for the excuse of, of giving Zari uh, her own totem so that, you know, uh, she'll have power going forward and gives her a reason to be on uh, the wave rider and, and sequences as well. Um, but yeah, just character wise, I felt that, you know, they had dealt with that and, and developed that they sort of, you know, dealt with it a little bit, you know, in, in having Bayrod, you know, talking about, you know, how much he enjoyed, you know, the working at the, uh, 
oh, uh, at the uh, the restaurant that he worked at and how it allowed him to to be his own guy and, and come out from his sister's shadow and everything like that, which made sense. But as I say, it just felt to me a little, yeah, like something that would have been more appropriate eight episodes ago rather than in this one. Okay, I can I can understand that. I can see where you're coming from, Professor. I, I think um, if they wanted them to have totems, like each of them to have their own totem, maybe this was the best storyline that they could think up. Um, I, I do agree it, it, it should have been done maybe earlier in this Zari's run. Uh, it would have made a little bit more sense. Uh, but I didn't mind it, I guess, as much as you did. Uh, I, I liked seeing them have their own totem at the end, and I was also surprised by the OG uh, Zari's cameo. Uh, I thought that was brilliant, and the fact that she was just snarky about it, because she was tired of hearing them bicker, so she was like, oh, fuck it. Let me give her a totem. Uh, I thought that was uh, that was interesting. Um, let's talk about Mick. We did not get a lot of Mick in this episode. Um, so I just want to ask both of you about what you thought of him because of real world stuff. Uh, Dominic Purcell announced he would be leaving as a series regular by the end of the season. He will not be returning next season as a series regular um, after posting a very, how would I describe it? A gruff? Uh, yeah, Instagram post of announcing his departure. He cleaned it up not once, but twice. And at the end of it basically said that he made a handshake deal with the showrunner to return if he's needed, per se. Um, it, it's interesting because after all of that, we, we didn't discuss this in the previous one and I wasn't sure when I was going to bring it up. So I might as well bring it up now because every time I see Mick now, I just think of the original Instagram post because Mick kind of is over it. And, um, you know, the part of the real world just sort of seeps into how I'm looking at Mick Rory on the show, and I don't know if that happened to either of you, but I, f- I figured I should ask. Uh, Mick had just a tiny role in the episode, um, but every time I saw him, all I could think of was Dominic Purcell's uh, Instagram post. Did that happen to either of you? Nope. Okay, so maybe it was just me. No, <laughs> uh, me too. Oh, do you did not, or did you think of his Instagram post? I did. I okay, you did think of it. <laughs> yeah. It was like the same energy, wasn't it? Like, Mick's entire <laughs> performance of this episode was the energy of his first Instagram post. <laughs> it made me laugh. I was like, oh, well, that was that. And we can't blame the tequila on it. Like, we do, we couldn't. Bad woman. <laughs> well, it is Mick, so maybe we could. <laughs> well, yeah. There is that, that too. Yeah, because it was at one point where um, the alien, like, he was just like, let's just get over, let's get this over with or something. When they were on the ship, I was like, oh, well, you know, there's that energy. All right, moving right along. Okay, so they track the alien. It's a burger joint, Big Bang Burger. Yeah made from the Big Bang Theory, I guess, uh, in 1955, San Bernardino. Uh, Millie, you know San Bernardino, right? I do, yes. 
Yeah, because you're over there. It's like they're like your neighbors, not really, but you're closer <laughs> to the valley than we are. They're close-ish, yeah. Yeah, close-ish. Uh, San Bernardino. Uh, have you eaten at a Big Bang Burger? I uh, sadly have not, and I think I will be staying away from any San Bernardino burger joints on my drive down there. Yes, it's smart. Yes, and uh, so they were kept on trying to figure out what the or who the alien was, and they there were a lot of red herrings, but they ended up finding out that the alien was the sauce, the secret sauce, and then they found out that the secret sauce. It, it wasn't that the alien, well, I guess the alien was the secret sauce, but the secret sauce was gathered from a cocoon of an alien that turned out to be a Mothra-style bug that was uh, basically um, fattening up the humans that it was going to eat once it, um, you know... Um, um, what it once once it had burst out of the cocoon. Okay, let's talk about this. It was interesting. There were a lot of it, oddly enough, um, there were a lot of really gross close-ups of people eating burgers, which was kind of disgusting. I was like, "Ooh, is that how we really eat burgers?" Because no one is attractive, I guess, when they eat a burger. Uh, let's talk about the secret sauce. Let's talk about Mothra. Let's talk about the burgers, um, Professor. Your take on the alien of the week. You know, I kind of like the resolution to it, that we did have this sort of cheesy B-movie 1950s style uh, alien. You know, it was appropriate to the time that they were dealing with. It was, you know, sort of a, uh, a Mothra type character. Uh, I agree with you. The, uh, the, the burger eating scenes were, were totally disgusting. Uh, and maybe you can headcanon it that because people are being manipulated by the secret sauce, they're, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's pushing them to, to eat in a, a, a more frantic, disgusting way than they would ordinarily. But yeah, that, ew, I was, I was, repeatedly grossed out by that uh yeah as they kept showing it uh and of course it, it did become uh it made, it made sense uh in in retrospect um you know having it you know the 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 whole thing about uh it, something manipulating them actually you know there's there's some biological basis to that you know it's a uh what's called an extended phenotype so i kind of like that um and as i say i like the moth i like the fact that uh, you know they chose to kill the moth by having it fly into the electric uh, yes. sign and be zapped uh, and you know the uh, the letters from burgers you know it, it ended up spelling out something about bugs uh, you know afterwards uh, yeah it's so, a now you know, serving the, bugs yeah the uh, the resolution of it actually w- was pretty good and and you know as I said you know I, I like the idea of, of, of cheesy aliens uh, as your villains just because you know, uh, over on the other shows where, you know, they're trying for more, you know, realism and stuff like that. We look at the CG and we often go, oh, the CG was terrible. The whole point of this is the CG is supposed to be a little cheesy because they're supposed to be cheesy aliens. And uh, so I think that worked quite well. And, uh, you know, the idea of, of you know, it, it was, you know, kind of gross and, you know, a little bit of uh, willing suspension of disbelief. But I thought the uh, the woman who played the, uh, oh, the wife who was hiding the aliens uh, existence actually did quite a good job. Of, uh, of playing that. I agree. Millie, I actually wanted to ask you about that because Ava goes undercover. Well, they're all undercover because they're legends. They have to go undercover. But she goes deeper into undercover by, by um, questioning the Burger Man's uh, 
wife. And so there's an extended sequence in which she's questioning the wife. And initially she says uh, that, what was it, rice wine vinegar was the secret sauce. And uh, then um, Ava ends up going up into the attic when she notices a little bit of dripping from uh, one of the vents. And that's when she finds the... um, the chrysalis um and um she gets bonked by um a a, what was it a a hand blender um which it it was a gag from that was introduced uh you know in the previous scene what'd you think of uh how ava found the alien as well as the wife and how intense she was because she really wanted the business to succeed. The business was not booming, and it wasn't until there was that drippage from uh, the uh, goo from the cocoon that you know they that she had the idea to uh, provide that as the secret sauce to the to their um, their the family's new burger joints. Just the thought of. of eating anything that drips off your ceiling just sounds so disgusting. I know, (laughs) right? Like, when I said it out loud, I was like, is that really something you want to try? Yeah, and then just, like, if you get into the the realist, you shouldn't with the legends, but it's, like, it's drippings from a cocoon. Like, it just sounds so gross. And even in the 1950s, I feel like people would say something, but um, it makes sense that this housewife didn't because she seemed absolutely crazy. Um, and I thought, uh, as Professor mentioned, the actress played it really well, just like, um, a little bit like crazy, psychotic, but then she hit it well as just a like housewife trying to do well by her family, which I thought was nice. Um, cause you know, not all evil people in a way that are evil, um, come out like that and they're always like it's usually like the nice ones that are probably going to backstab you somewhere or make you a like a crazy neat loving person um and i love the like 50s ava just trying <laughs> trying to play i thought that was such a great scene um and that it was it was well played and then also getting hit in the head with a hand blender i mean those are dangerous i suppose um and that makes sense but overall it was i wasn't expecting that to kind of i guess be the the cause of it, but it makes sense. And also, it's really kind of questionable that that it was a week prior is when they started dri- eating the drippings from the ceiling, and that like thing got so large. Then I feel like that should also be a you know concern for the crazy lady, but I guess not. You would think, yeah. I mean, it grew really fast, uh, Professor. I just want to get your take on that one line that the wife uh, Rhonda ended up saying because like Ava goes into this whole explanation about you know it's aliens and it's my fiance my wife and this that the other and she just goes because we have to remember this is a housewife in the 1950s she goes I don't know which word you said is the craziest or something like that it was a great line and I had thought that as even as Ava was saying that, I was thinking, you're in the 1950s, uh, admitting to being an out lesbian who's getting married. Uh, that's going to be as weird as anything else she hears. Uh, part of the problem, you know, when you're doing the, the time travel uh, is, you know, um, you know, uh, contemporary mores, unless you're going to take like a, a gritty 
hard, realistic uh, view of it, you're going to encounter uh, stuff like that. You know, for example, I saw a you know a um, uh, a mixed race couple walking uh, down the street in in the background in one shot, and I thought, well, that would never happen in the 1950s. And come on, that would that's that seems unlikely. Uh, but uh, you know, uh, again, willing suspension of disbelief. But I did like the fact they sort of called that out that you know Ava was just you know uh, my fiance, and and the fact that you know this woman from the 1950s would have lumped all of those things together. And I thought that they phrased it you know, uh, in, in a very clever way. I don't know which of the things you just said is the most insane. Uh, but that, that, you know, the, the stuff that, you know, again, stuff that we take absolutely for granted, whether it's gay rights, trans rights, whatever, uh, in a contemporary sense, you, you go back to the 1950s and it just would have been inconceivable to them as much as the idea that, you know, this is an alien, you know, dripping stuff that is, you know, controlling people's minds. Mm-hmm. The, the thing that sort of took me out, um, because I do have to remember, as you said, Professor, this is Legends, so it's, it's going to be wild and wacky. They did do one episode where they dealt with race, because uh, at the time, they had a uh, wave writer, crew member, who was black, and they went back to the era of slavery. So there was an episode where it was, where race was brought up, and, and they handled it uh, the best that they could. Um, but in this episode, I mean, by the end of it, so the uh, mom and pop of this small business ended up dying, and uh, the restaurant is left to a black woman who was a waitress at the establishment. And we learn that canonically, she ended up changing the name to Big Belly Burger. So in the 50s, a black woman ended up owning or creating this franchise that we now, well, not, I don't want to say that we now, but that we've known about in the history of the Arrowverse, period. And, you know, I just watched on Amazon Prime the series Them, which deals with a black couple moving from the South to the West, and they were the first black couple to move into an all-white neighborhood, uh, the all-white, the lily-white neighborhood of Compton in 19, I think it was 53, uh, California. So just the idea of a black woman owning this restaurant and they're and it's just being you know talked about on the news like you know as if it's nothing. I, I thought that kind of took me out of it for me, but uh, it's legends, um, so I didn't really think too much into that. I also noticed that the the clientele uh, was incredibly racially diverse for 1950s uh, California as well. Yeah, I noticed that as well. But, you know, again, it's the sort of thing that, you know, if they were going to cast it, you know, sort of in a realistic way, I think we would find it more alienating. We would be more offended by our modern mm -hmm. sensibilities uh, if they tried to do it. You know, I you know, there's a. Uh, uh, a Shakespeare festival uh, near where I live that I, I often attend and they've been casting colorblind for years. So, you know, you will have Juliet being black or, you know, Romeo being East Asian or whatever. Uh, and, you know, we've just gotten used to it and we don't, we don't even think about it or comment on it anymore. If, if anyone were to cast something where they would go, well, and, you know, in, you know, the Merchant of Venice, obviously everyone would be white uh, and, and intentionally cast that way in the interest of accuracy. I think we would find it more alienating. Um, so I think, you know, uh, you know, and again, because this is legends, uh, you know, because it's, you know, a, a wink and a nod, I, I think we're, we're more likely to, uh, to ignore little things like this. I, I, you know, I've mentioned before, I like, you know, I mentioned in the context of, uh, of what's happening over on Supergirl for the past couple of weeks that I like when, you know, you have a situation where, you know, people go into the past and they cause something that explains something in the present. 
So I kind of like the fact that it's because of the legends meddling that Big Belly Burger becomes a thing. Yeah, that was fun. Um, yeah, I think one of the reasons why they kind of have to do what they're doing as far as just, you know, um, softening the past a little bit is because they, t- they do have two Muslim members uh, on the team. And they also have now a Latina on the team. And, uh, you know, just having to always deal with the discussions of race, that might be something that they don't necessarily want to have to do on a weekly basis. Um, yeah, because as far as just episodes in the past, you know, many seasons ago, I think that, you know, that one episode when, um, when uh, Firestorm was on the team, that, like, that was really the only episode where they actually dealt with race kind of head on. All right. So, was there anything that I missed? A teeny tiny little moment, uh, you know, any anything that I missed that either of you would like to bring up before we head into the MVP? All right. Now it's time for the MVP, the most valuable player. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. Once a character has been chosen, they cannot be selected again. So, choose wisely. Let's start off with the professor. Who's your MVP? I'm going to give it to Bayrod. Um, you know, I don't often choose Bayrod, uh, but I really liked him in this episode. I liked his, you know, the 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 joy he was taking uh, from his work. Uh, you know, the fact that you know he 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 obviously cared uh, so much, even in his uh, you know crazy stoner way uh, about what he was doing. And I think it sort of you know it, it gave him that you know connection. Uh, to his sister that, you know, when she was able to go, uh, no, you're the, the cook here, I'll just help out. You know, it, it allowed them to, to establish that connection. It, it felt like a very real, you know, relationship between the two, even though, as I say, you know, it, it did feel like something that should have, that had been dealt with last season. Uh, despite that, I, I liked how, uh, how Bayrod played. I thought it was a lot of fun. Very nice. A surprising choice from the professor, but a, a nice choice. Uh, Millie, what about you? Who's your MVP and why? I think I had to give it to Ava. I just enjoyed the kind of the bond she's forging with Spooner and also the, the character growth that she had over the episode, um, you know, able to realize her mistakes, come to it, and then had that heart-to-heart um, and, and learn from it and really further shape herself into the leader of, of the Wave Rider, all while kind of grappling with Sarah missing and, you know, is the pessimistic Spooner would say potentially dead. Uh, so overall, I'd have to give it to Ava. Another great choice, and I will uh, give it to uh, Ava's co-star. I'm going to give it to Spooner. I really enjoyed what Lisef Chavez did in this episode. She was a little antagonistical at the beginning, but it made sense because she... I mean, for lack of a better word, she was kidnapped, <laughs> and uh, she's being held there. Uh, to she's being forced to help them. But by the end of, end of the episode, that relationship had softened, and she's now a willing participant. She's looking for closure herself. Uh, she is willing to help them find Sarah. Uh, I liked what they did with her, and uh, in particular, a lot of that was because of her relationship with Ava throughout the episode. So uh, Spooner became much more interesting uh, by the end of the episode. I'm excited to see her as a uh, as an official member of the, the Wave Rider. So now it's time to rate the episode. How would you rate this episode on a scale of 1 to 10 Wave Riders? The point system is allowed. And if you found the episode exceptional, deserving of more than a 10, you may grant it the coveted Golden Wave Rider. Milliewood, let's start off with you. So overall, I felt a little bit on the fence about this episode. I feel like, especially going off of like a, a, 
a somewhat shaky also, in my opinion. Uh, Premier last week, this one I felt definitely pitted off a little bit. And it might have been the Gary and Sarah storyline, as the professor mentioned, it felt a little bit just kind of out there. And I, I think with both stories, I didn't really know what the point was. I, I get like we're hunting aliens, but I feel like the, the exposition took a very, is taking a long setup and it feels a little bit slow. Um, that said, I do enjoy the dynamics of, of watching them make burgers and kind of all that fun banter that does make it enjoyable. Um, but in terms of kind of what, what setting up for the season, I felt like we're a little bit spinning wheels. So I have to give it 7.9 Wade Riders. Oh my. Was the point nine for Nate in his shorts? Yes. Okay. <laughs> she said yes. Uh, Professor, what about you? How would you rate this episode? I just couldn't get into this episode for some reason. Uh, the as I, I mentioned, the uh, whole Sarah and Gary thing, uh, you know, left me cold. Um, and uh, I liked the uh, the alien reveal, uh, but there was just yeah for some reason I couldn't get into the episode. It. it it, you know, as I often say on, on other shows, seldom on Legends, just left me a little cold. Uh, still a lot of funny stuff, but yeah, I, I, I couldn't go higher than a 7.5. Okay. Was the point five for Nate in his shorts? You know, did we get to see him in his shorts that much? I did like the fact that he, uh, the way he, he absolutely loved, uh, you know, the, uh, the idea of, of being on the roller skates. Uh, yes. And by the way, when you were mentioning, you know, things we didn't mention, uh, the fact that, uh, you know, uh, Zari's, uh, you know, stuff that she has to her water is stuff that she has to her water, you know, on the reg. But, you know, just a little bit on a burger is knocking these people out. What the hell are you taking, girl? I know, right? It was like sleepy time tea, but it was it's like potent sleepy time tea. Yeah, that was her branding, if I'm not mistaken. That's like her sleepy time supplements. That's what at least uh, via the exposition, it sounded like that was like her own business as one of the many businesses. Yeah, I think, and this could be like a running joke that they're doing with her. They might be saying her up as sort of a goop type thing. Um, oh, and if so, that could brilliant. be very, very funny. Yes, because goop is very funny. In a very sad way, because it's real. Shout out to Gwyneth Paltrow. Okay, um, I'm going to give it just a teeny tiny bit more than both of you. I'm going to give it a solid 8. I thought it was wacky and fun, sort of like what we expect from the Legends. But I do agree with both of you. There was a sort of vibe to the episode that sort of bogged it down a little bit. I, I think a lot of that was... Um, you know, to agree with the professor, a lot of it was the Sarah and, Sarah and Gary stuff. Even though that was interesting just to hear the exposition, it was sort of like on its own island, as I like to describe stuff. Like, it was on its own island, uh, like, way over there. And then it just, uh, it was a little weird, the juxtaposition of the B storyline with the A1. Uh, I did enjoy the alien stuff. Uh, I mean, if we get sort of like weird and wacky interpretation of aliens every week... I'm here for it, uh, but that that other storyline, the B one, was just way over there. That it kind of just dragged a little bit. And I do co-sign some of the expositiony stuff. It makes sense because we need it moving forward. But it, the episode just felt a little too extra expositiony, and um, and that sort of brought it down as well. But still, you know, it's a solid hour. I would say it's still rewatchable. Maybe fast forward a little bit through the Sarah and Gary stuff just because you already know it. But enjoy the burger shenanigans because uh, the burger shenanigans were fun. 
So on that note, join us next time for a brand new installment of Time Masters. Once again, here's our announcer, Gidget, to remind you on how you can interact with us. Thank you, Captain. Follow Papichilo Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Papichilo Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at papichiloradio.com. Are you interested in joining the Papichilo Radio team as an on-air personality or blog contributor? Email talent at papichiloradio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Papichilo Radio programs by visiting papichiloradio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for Time Masters and subscribe. Back to you, my captain. Thanks, Gidget. My co-hosts, please wish the listeners a good night, starting off with the professor. Good night, everyone. And Millie Wood. Good night, listeners. If you want to follow, follow along with me, I'm on Twitter as at the Asian Nerd. Thanks for tuning in. Download new episodes of Time Masters every Tuesday via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and the Poppy Chula Radio Archives. Good night.